Hey, everybody. Welcome to Episode 6 of the Strike 3 Podcast with CB, Enoch, and Trav. Today's guest has had an illustrious career as an NC2A football referee and baseball umpire and is currently the NC2A Division I Coordinator of Umpires. Please help me welcome to the show, George Drochus. Live from Studio 1A in Rockefeller Center. Wait, wait, wait. CB, CB. That's another show. Yeah, that, that's not us, man. Oh. Well, from underneath some milk crate in Northern California, it's Strike Three with CB, Enoch, and Trav. And here are your hosts, Colin Brown, Eric Nakagawa, and Travis Witt. Well, good morning. We got another episode of Strike Three three podcast with with cb enoch and trav um, and today we have a special guest with us george droches who is the uh, ncaa national coordinator of umpires um we've uh got, gone along with uh having a, a few podcasts we plan to have a few more but we thought it'd be interesting to have george on as our boss's boss's boss kind of deal um and to kind of go go back george is is from minneapolis um, and he's in his seventh year as the uh, national coordinator. So I guess that was a summer of 14 effective for the 2015 season, George. That's correct. Yeah. End of July, actually. End of July. <clears throat> so that's how long it, it the, the planning starts for the next year is, is shortly after a couple weeks after the uh, college world series ends, we start in the next year. Well, actually it's <clears throat> a, it's a 12 month, you know, business plan. You know, we really, we really don't stop. You know, we, we're always planning. We're always looking at our timeline and our, our mapping that what needs to be done in terms of all of our collateral, all of our meetings, our budget, travel, you know, everything that's involved, not only with the NCAA, but the American Baseball Coaches Association, as well as working with the conference commissioners. Uh, my role at the Division One level, but I also have Don Umlin and, and Scott Taylor works with their committees. Right. Uh, so basically, it's a it's a year round uh, position, nonstop. Right now, it's nonstop. Yeah. Well, especially now, I'm sure. Um, is the cutoff more June 30th, or is it more an academic year of an August year end? No, or? not really. I mean, our 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 contracts are are structured September 1st to August 31st. However. You know, the, we're always planning, for example, you know, for the entire year. For right, right now, you know, we're, we're already into 2021. You know, we started actually 2021, you know, last year. In other words, in terms of we need to produce, you know, a, a new rules and officiating video, as well as now an online clinic. We had to deviate from our in-person clinic, so we had to go through that diatribe to cancel and renegotiate and everything that because this is a business and part of a big part of my job is to manage a budget you know and and then basically right now we've we've edited the rule book for 21 and 22 and that's at the printer we completed our cca umpires baseball umpires manual that'll be at the printer and that's part of your welcome packet by the way that comes out here uh, effective uh, december 1st uh we've already shot our rules and officiating video we need to get back in production there. Part of that then encompasses our online umpire clinic, which starts December 7th. 
and working on our game officials manual, uh, as well as some other things. Matter of fact, tomorrow morning, I'm flying out to Boise, Idaho to spend the weekend with Tom Heiler, our director of umpire training to go through some umpire interviews that he conducted, which will be part of our, if you recall, that was a big part of our um, uh, online umpire clinic. So right. lots in process and I'm working on our preseason guide right now with referee enterprises that gets mailed to every head coach and you guys get it on home plate and working with home plate and Arbiter sports as well. So, so many, so many things going on, a very multifarious job, if you will. Wow. And it's, it's a, it, this is a big enterprise. And so I guess it is a year round, year round uh, effort. Um, so before you became the division one or the overall, and so you were the division three coordinator. Yes. yes. I was the first, I was actually the first uh, division three coordinator hired by the NCAA. It was kind of a model program uh, started uh you know, by the Division Three baseball committee, they wanted somebody to oversee Division Three baseball, and I applied. Uh, at that time, uh, Dave Yates was the national coordinator, and I went through the interview process okay. with David, as well as others, and they hired me in, uh, you know, December of 2004, and I started uh, in February, you know, December, January of five, and basically spent uh, 10 years conducting the Division Three part of it, which was very, very similar to what I do here is, you know, select umpires, work with committee members, work with the coordinators, the assigners to select and, and recommend the best umpires to the championship. So that, uh, and in addition to that, I also worked with the NCAA, uh, you know, to back up my, I, I supervised basketball officials, men and women uh, in division three here for 15 years. So that was another oh, side wow. job. Okay. And, uh, you know, conference similar like Chapman out there and, you know, some others in the Southern California okay. Division Three League. But, uh, right. and then part of it, I also helped the NCAA Division Three and Division Two levels work with selecting up, uh, basketball officials for their tournament. But then hence, since they've, they've also hired, you know, representatives of Division Two and Division Three basketball. So I've, I've spent a lot of time with the NCAA to get back to your question. Okay, no, so. no, that, that <laughs> no, that's awesome. It's good to know. So basketball, obviously you officiated basketball as well as baseball. Um, yeah, I, I recently back in retired, the day? I, I recently retired uh, you know, I'm, I'm 64, I'll be 65 in August, but uh, you know, I spent many years officiating all divisions, uh, you know, college football, you know, basketball, men's and women's basketball, baseball, you know, f since the late 80s, you know, so worked, you know, when uh, basketball was two man, two person, you know, I've seen a lot of the migration and, you know, baseball and stuff, been very blessed to have spent a long time, uh, you know, officiating, you know, college football, all three divisions. Uh, basketball, all three divisions, baseball, all three divisions, and having the opportunity to work several, you know, uh, NCAA championships. So I've been very blessed. And our football season this year at the Division II level was canceled. And I, I may come back. I don't know. I've got a good young crew. I'll see how my body holds up. Right. <clears throat> you got to work on keeping that COVID-15 away. So, Yes. <clears throat> so. Hey, George, CB here. I was uh, fortunate enough in my uh, – young life to have a mentor, uh, which was my uncle, um, 
me and my cousin would go around with him and he was a, at the time he was a junior college uh, basketball uh, official. And I think he, he was doing also uh, some NAIA and mm-hmm. uh, some division one uh, just preseason stuff. And uh, that's basically how I got my start in uh, officiating was from him. How did you get your start? I used to coach. You know, I was a division three, you know, head basketball and baseball coach for several years, a school like St. Mary's College, actually, in Winona, Minnesota, which is, like I said, a very similar to the typical division three private, you know, it's called the Minnesota Intercollegiate Athletic Conference. That's where I went to school. That's where I finished my undergrad degree and had the opportunity to uh, go back there and uh, coach the men's basketball team and became their first full-time coach back in 1982. So, and I, like I said, spent seven or eight years, uh, not only coaching both those sports, but also had golf. And then I had the opportunity to start, you know, women's soccer back in 82. And we also started uh, girls hockey or women's hockey. So spent a long time in, uh, you know, intercollegiate athletics. As a matter of fact, my first hire in baseball happened to be Ed Service, who's now been the longtime head baseball coach at Creighton University. So it's always nice to see Eddie when I get back to Omaha, you know, for the College World Series. Right. But, you know, that's that, you know, that's my, you know, my background is education. You know, I was a teacher by trade, an English teacher, instructor, uh, then moved into the college game and then basically started to pick up officiating. Then when I left, basically, I had connections into the, the officiating world and basically started at the grassroots and, you know, was able to uh, advance relatively quickly uh, in basketball and baseball and particularly because of the, the sport that I had and, and maybe some of the feel for the game, if you will, the business side. But it also had officiated college football since 82 uh, at the Division three level. So, you know, like I said, the run ended in uh, 2020. You know, I can't tell you how many games off wow. an awful lot of travel here and uh, yeah, I bet for time in particular, but it, you know, it felt very blessed and, and very blessed to give back. I mean, that's the part of this job as well as you, you only get to keep what you give away. And it's very important to, you know, continue that. And as you said, CB, the mentoring is critically important. And I'm always encouraging umpires uh, to continue to mentor, uh, you know, young officials. And uh, cause that's our, that's our future. One question I have mentioned other sports is, what kind of skill sets do you see translating between football and, and baseball and, and basketball? Um, golf is a different golf officials, well, a different set, different skill set. but well, um. the first thing, <laughs> first thing that comes to mind is, you know, is a, you have to be an excellent communicator. You, you, you really have to really understand people and how to manage people, how to work with coaches. You know, I will tell you as a, in all of those sports, you, you have to be a good listener and you have to admit when you're wrong. And, and basically move on. But I do think some of the key components is you have to be an excellent communicator, uh, you know, and also treat this like a business. This is a business and, and people do very well in the sports officiating world. And I always treated officiating like a business and be prepared, obviously, you know, the rule book, knowing the rules, you know, staying in shape as we talked about. I mean, I'm a, I'm a young 64 year old and I was blessed to be able to run and, and those types of things. And, and that, that's, those are part of the attributes, but I also think it's important CB, you know, as you mentioned is to have a mentor. And I was very fortunate to have people who helped me 
make the transition from coaching to officiating. Because I remember when I was coaching, there were certain things about an official I did not like. And I kind of reversed that when I went into officiating. Okay. And, and basically, you know, I, off field stuff was always, you know, as prudent as could be, you know, treated things like a business, you know, communicated with, you know, your bosses and everything kind of, kind of what I would expect also from some of the people who work with me and for me right now, as a matter of fact. Well, that, that makes sense. So uh, when I got in, into coaching and at the high school level, um, it was like, I had to prove that you could be, you don't have to be an a-hole to be a good coach. Um, and when I made the transition no, no. To, to officiating, it was the same sort of philosophy. You don't have to be an a-hole to be a good official. So you know, I'll tell you, you I, I don't want to, one of the proudest things I am, you know, my, you know, as a college basketball and baseball coach is that, you know, about 99% of the kids who played for me that I recruited around the country, they graduated in four years. And I'm very proud of that because we that is awesome. and put some programs in where they would, you know, get through, you know, there was more important things than just, you know, sports, but sports basically helped them. And they're very successful today. Matter of fact, I still have a couple of them as my doctors. So my former players, so it's kind of a fun reunion wow. at times. Wow. Wow. That, that's, that's paying it forward and, and being able to collect on that. That's awesome. Uh, they're, they're good kids. <clears throat> yeah. That's yeah, great. So, well, that kid's that's great. More, so. <clears throat> yeah. And then you, you had mentioned, uh, mentioned golf. So I know you, your son lived out here in, in, in beautiful California yes. for a while. And so I'm sure you'll be able to hit some of the links that were out here. Yeah. As I, as I mentioned to you the other day, Eric, is uh, you know, one of our basketball trips was uh you know, we, uh, we, we started out with Sonoma State and UC Davis. This was back in the mid-80s. And then played Cal Berkeley. And then we went down to San Luis Obispo and, of course, had to hit Pebble Beach and, you know, and Spyglass Hill, of course, along the way down. Uh, yeah, you know, yeah. So. mandatory. Oh, darn. <laughs> so, but that, was, that was back when the, the, the fees were not uh, as exorbitant as they are now. Beautiful, beautiful part of the country, though. And I, uh, when my son and daughter-in-law grandkids lived out in Sacramento it was always a treat to go out there and, and Sacramento is a, a beautiful part of the of the country as well in the Napa Valley as well so thank you yeah we're trying to keep it that way trying to keep it that way I understand. Um, as you kind of move through this you move the progression from from coaching into well obviously playing at some point in time and then playing and then coaching mm -hmm. into officiating and as you moved up you moved from you know into the different divisions you moved to more more responsible roles and becoming the coordinator at division three level. What kind of goals did you, did you set out to do something like this? Um, how did you sort of map this you out? You know, I, uh, I, I always believe in being a service. Okay. You know, my beliefs are being a maximum service to God and to others. Those are my beliefs. And I always believe that this is part of this job is to be a service, you know, service to the officiating communities and the baseball communities. And that's why I always sometimes close with my humble privilege to be of service. And that's so true. Yep. And that's, that's, that's who I am, you know? And so I take on these positions or when people asked, I simply, you know, I prayed over it and, you know, to, uh, took them on and just wanted to try to improve the programs and help people get better. And uh, that's a big part of who I am, you know? No, that's, that's awesome. You know, and it, and it comes through. So in all our the dealings and, you know, I am going to be disappointed not to see you at my uh, what biannual getting getting to see and talk to you in person. But um, I guess we'll do it online this year. Um, yeah. Well, that, that, hey, Jim, that, I had a question um, in regards to uh, 
obviously it takes a, a certain amount of leadership to be able to obviously coach and then move into uh, the officiating realm because it's not necessarily a natural transition uh, to go from one to the other. What were some of the books that you read that shaped the leader that you are today? Oh, you know, being a, you know, my, my, my degree is in English and, and education. So I, I am an avid reader. You know, I, and I, I read a lot of books, I guess if, if you're trying to pin down one or two books, I, I would say it's a, a copulation of a lot of books, CB. I mean, to me, leadership is, you know, is a gift, is, a, is the opportunity to enact some things upon people to, to get them better, maybe not necessarily feel better at times, but to get better. Uh, you know, in terms of mentors or people I look up to, I mean, obviously, you know, when you come out of a family that you, it was a hardworking family and a father that expect accountability and things like that. Those are some things that shaped my life in terms of, of leadership. And yeah, maybe it's a natural, natural progression. I mean, basically I just, you know, pick up the flag and so to speak and, and charge. For those that are not that, uh, that don't necessarily have that type of reading background or just that are not readers, um, what would you suggest to those people or those officials that are trying to move up in the ranks and uh, become that type of leader, but they're not naturally gifted in that way? What would you suggest to them to get them to where they want to go? Well, as you, you said earlier in the, in, the, in the show here is, you know, as, as a mentor, it's, it's critically important to, to connect to, to some people who, who, who have a vested interest in, in that person's character, that person's integrity, that person's skill set. I guess if you're going to be a leader, you're going to have to really have a pretty good foundation of integrity and, and character and, and, and honesty and, and truth and transparency and full disclosure, all of those things. And that's that's critically important of being a leader. But I think as a young official who wants to move up, you know, my suggestion is to keep connecting. My, my, my suggestion is to, is to find some of the people who are successful in this business. I mean, think about the people in your part of the country. Why are these people successful? Why are they at that certain level? You know, it's kind of the attraction, not promotion, if you will. Okay. You're attracted to somebody. Okay. Because they have something that you want. And, and that's kind of how I migrated to try to answer your question, CB, migrated to people because I wanted something that that person had. And, and that's, that's, that built a lot of who I am. And that's, that would be my response to you is to, you know, find somebody that has had success, not just on the field, off the field, good person, gives back, helps others you know, admits when they're wrong, has the, the total package. And, and, and those are the kinds of officials I look for, quite honestly. And those are the kinds of things that I migrate to very quickly uh, in relationships. And does, I don't know if that answered your question or not, or tried to. No, no, it does. So would it be safe to say that um, it's, you're not looking for people to reinvent the wheel, just turn around and look for people who are, uh, who have been successful 
uh, and duplicate what they're doing. Exactly. I mean, it's like you, you think of some people out in your part of the country. I mean, I can think of the people I've hired from the West Coast to work in our championship or, or in Omaha or have asked to write articles or asked to participate in some videos or some interviews. And the common denominators, they want to give back. The common denominators, they want to help improve the audience, the umpire, whoever the case may be. But that's, that's the common denominator. I mean, we all know officials who can flat out officiate, but you don't want to spend five minutes with them. I mean, I, I, there's quite a few out there. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And, but yeah. I, where, what, who I look for are the people who want to give back. They want to teach. They want to mentor. They want to help people get better. And you know what? That's why I keep saying you only get to keep what you give away. And it's so true. I've seen so many officials improve their game because they gave back. They, because they mentored. They took the time. They self-evaluated. I mean, I'll get emotional here, but that is a huge part of, of the kind of official now that in my role, or not just my, is, is the people in the baseball umpire program. If you look at the people in the baseball umpire program, the Randy Brunzes, I think you had a, you know, yeah. genuine guy, you know, Tom Heiler does a lot of stuff with you know, training and giving in all those things that he does. And our baseball umpire advisors, you know, Mark Ditsworth out of Detroit area, you know, Bill McCallum out of Boston area, Jim Jackson, you know, out of Atlanta, Bob LaBelle out in LA, right. they all have a common deni de denomination is that they, they're very passionate about improving umpiring, but also taking a, an active interest in the umpire as well. And, and that's why our program has improved. That's why our umpiring has improved, you know, over the past few years. You, you look around you, I'm of the belief guys that umpiring has never been better. An umpire competition is at an all-time high, and that is tr tremendous opportunity now for umpires, and that's that's kind of the, the vision or the goals that we set, or I set as a national coordinator is to improve officiating, but also improve the NCAA, also improve the baseball committees, also improve the selection process, also improve the ABCA, also improve the people associated with college baseball. You know, turn it into a business, but also flourish it. And and and, it, and that's if you're asking me in the on the document here, that's part of my vision. You know, to continually improve the many facets of college baseball, not just umpiring. You know, that's the business businessman in me, if you will. Right. right. No, that that makes total sense. Um, you want, well want to keep you want to keep moving forward. So, um, an improvement because there's always room for improvement. Um, there's no such thing as officiating a perfect game. So um, there's well, always I believe, something. You know, I believe, let me interrupt you, but what you're doing here, I get, you know, kudos, compliments. By you, by you guys doing this and, and you getting this out to the umpires, you know, they're going to they're gonna get better. They're going to learn. They're going to listen. They're going to self-evaluate. They're going to say, what, is, what does he mean by this? Or what, what is he talking about? And maybe this will help them improve their officiating. And I don't care if you're an umpire. I don't care if you're a basketball official, football official. You know, I, I've seen all of the different levels of, of trans, you know, transgression and, and moving up the ladder and going the other way. And I, and the hope of, of this conversation is that, you know, somebody will, somebody will get better. Somebody will take a nugget and, and, and go with it. 
Yeah, that's kind of what we're hoping for is to get the information out there to everybody. And you being the mentor and the the official you've your your resume is 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 outstanding. So hopefully they do get something out of this. Well, yeah, I, one of our our goals is 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 to help help raise the tide so all all boats can can move upwards. So um, that's that's good. Um, I mean, that's a very major undertaking. Um, anything else you wanted to, as, as the head of the, you know, the national coordinator for, for all of NCAA umpires? Well, I, you, you know, kind of, you're only as good as your people, you know, and, and I, and we have some very good people on our staff, you know, Scott Taylor's done some wonderful things for division two. Mm -hmm. You know, he's improved not only the officiating, he's improved the championship. He's out and about at camps and doing things and speaking Don Umblin, once again, when I left Division Three, you know, Don replaced me and has done a very nice job of, of that continuing on. Uh, and, and, the, and the umpiring at Division Three has gotten better and the tournament as well. So, you know, we're only as good as our people. So you want, you want to always hire good people. Then you, and you can always train them. You can always teach them. But they got to be, they got to be good people. They got to have character, integrity. And they, they, they got to get after it. And I'm very blessed to have been surrounded. I surrounded myself with some outstanding people, you know, in the baseball umpire program. And I do believe that's why we've had some success and, and not, and not just success, but we've changed kind of the template of how we, how we do business compared to my predecessors, to be quite honest with you. Well, I, yeah, if you just take notice of where we are now and where we were when, when I started officiating, let's see, it's classic officiating was 2012. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's a bit different. You can, it's a market difference if you just kind of take time shots of here and here. So, um, and I think in a good way. Um, Absolutely. If, if I can move something down more micro, um, we've just had a season that was uh, abruptly halted mid-stride. Mid um, or, you know, as we were just getting started, I think it was about the third weekend uh, of the season when we had to shut down. Um, what kind of impact has that had on, you know, and what you have to do and, you know, working with the conferences and, you know, what do you think the impact is on some of our officials? Well, it's, you know, it, it, I would I'm trying to be polite here. I mean, obviously, when you work hard, like all of us did, and we got off such to a very good start, you know, we had we had an excellent college world series in 2019. Yeah. We culminated did. outstanding. <clears throat> the officiating had never been better. The interest, the enthusiasm. And as I talked on the show here, now we carry that forward. We carry that momentum right into 2020. And we went through all the rule changes that impacted the game, the game changing rules. And totally, this game has been totally revamped. If you, if you think about it, this game is totally cleansed. You got, you got, you now you got to play, you got to pitch, you got, everything is, is in place. And then we went into 20 and we get off to a good start and our, our ejection suspensions are down 60%. There's better behavior, better civility, very good umpiring. I was, I was at four different, you know, towns or all across the country, very excited. All of a sudden, boom, done. Now, what do you do? You know, the first thing you do is you look and say, okay, what's the fallout of this? 
you know, the fallout is you start thinking about your umpires, you know, your people, you know, some lost income, some fellowship or brotherhood and all of that. Now you got to start to go back to, you know, taking care of them, their health, you know, make sure you do the right things, but also support others. You know, when people are down, when they're, when they're used to being out and about, now they got to stay home. You got to look at the, the mental aspect of it, all those factors. My role was simply to keep things moving. And I, and I think we did a decent job by continually to put developmental things out there on home plate to keep right. stuff, keep, keep stuff moving forward that, you know, it's business as usual and we're going to continue on. Okay. But also that's when we started doing some things to look at 2021. That's when we had to look at, you know, we're not going to have an in-person, you know, clinic out there and, you know, out there in California, for example, I think it was uh, someplace uh, south of LA at Irvine. That's right. You know, another, so, so we had to really take a step back and see how is this going to impact, you know, college baseball, you know, and, and, and we didn't want to stay, you know, down and depressed very long. We wanted to, now let's look at 2021. Let's put the, the clocks in the TD Ameritrade, you know, park. You know, we put the timing clocks. We started doing some, that's, you know, that's that, uh, something we had to do. We have to look to the future. Right. So we started putting all of this stuff in place, knowing that college baseball may never be the same again. But at the same token, we had to continue to watch and see, you know, how our members, how our fellowship, you know, the impact that, you know, this is going to have on them, not only lost income, but, you know, some things with their jobs, our personal jobs that got affected, our health, all of the above. But I'll tell you, I think, I really believe college baseball is going to return more formidable than ever. I think there's going to be a hunger for it. Our officials, once again, are they want to officiate, they want to umpire, uh, you know, and I think that's kind of the positive attitude we have to take. But yeah, there was a major setback. I mean, when the Final Four didn't get played, the economics of the NCAA was a catastrophe. And we're still reeling from that. And we still don't know how much are we going to play. You know, I mean, the Mountain West out in your area looked at 47 games possibly I saw. Right. Divisions two and three might go back to 40 games. We still don't know the economics of where this is going to land in college baseball. But it's business as usual. You know, we're, we're, we got things in place. We got a plan. We got collateral to do, productions to do. You know, we're going to see what happens and where the game lands, you know, in 2021. We may see, you know, conferences going from four to three umpires. We may see, you know, possibly even at the Division One level, some of them may ask to see if they can have two umpires. Now, I, I'm not a proponent of that because with, with the timing things, but also <laughs> the right. fact of what, what happens if somebody, if somebody gets sick, you know, and, and they can't officiate. Well, you can't play with one umpire. You know, the rule book says two. And I think our whole psyche is going to change. I mean, the days that we all like to go out afterwards and, you know, have a, a beverage and, you know, talk smart and, you know, you know, all that stuff that we all did, everybody's still done. That's going to change because you know what? The, the risk is too much. It's too great. It's too great to go out, you know, and contract something and bring it back and to the players and then they can't play. I mean, those are all of the factors that, you know, we're trying to think about as we get back to baseball, you know, how do we get back to baseball? And we're 
you know, we're looking at what football is done, what's Major League Baseball doing, you know, all of those things. And, you know, that, and that started, by the way, you know, the middle of March. I was, I was at the airport going down to fly to uh, Gainesville, Florida to see Florida and, and Georgia play. I don't see the teams, but I go where the umpires are. And I remember just about boarding the plane and I got a text saying they're done, you know, but we had to rebuild and I believe we have, I mean, there's budget cuts. I understand the economics of this and there's more coming, especially if you don't play football and you don't play basketball. Um, but that's out of our hands. I mean, our focus or my focus is getting everything necessarily prepared, you know, for college baseball, 2021. With um, different restrictions in different parts of the country, um, what are going to be some of the complications you see coming up for the season? Well, Dr. Ramos, uh, who is our College World Series physician, he's also the physician at Creighton University. He's been the chair of the NCAA safeguards, and he's part of the COVID task force with the NCAA and the Big East and some others. Brilliant guy. He actually has written an article that's going to be in the preseason guide because I, I believe in wellness. That's the other part is not, not only do we just have baseball, but George has put some things out there for wellness to help umpires. Okay. Right. Yeah, we've seen that. And, and part of that is talks about exactly what you said, Travis, is we have, you're going to have to look at regional travel differently. You're not going to be able to jump all over the place anymore. As I talked earlier, you're going to have to be careful where you go. You know, the days of dressing, you know, at the stadium, I think is, to be mitigated. I think you're going to see a lot of things that, uh, you know, are going to be totally different, but necessary in order to stay within the guidelines uh, so that we can continue on. I mean, I, I, I see a, I see a lot of changes with, with how the baseball umpire has conducted his life and how things are going to have to change to stay compliant uh, in order to keep us going. Hopefully that helps you, you know, you know, answers your question, but I see a lot of changes. Yeah, that's, that was one of the things. It's like you got football playing in the Midwest and the East and no football out here in the West. So, I mean, when it comes down to it, I mean, the complications of the schedule, are they going to be kind of like what football's doing or do you guys know yet? Oh, I, I, I totally agree. We've already seen uh, – we've already seen some changes in the division one schedule where they're not, they're not traveling. You know, the Michigans aren't traveling down to play rice. Okay. Non-conference. You're, you're not seeing these tournaments start off the early weekend. You know, I used to go out to Dodger stadium for the Dodger town classic out there and some others. I think you'll see some changes, but I also think you'll see some changes in how officials are traveling. I think assigners are going to have to be careful where to, send people, you know, cost because of costs, because of the economics of travel. Uh, but, I, but I, you know, I'm confident we'll work this out. I think the next step that we need to see is when are they going to play? You know, when, you know, at my level, when is division one going to play? How many games are they going to play? Uh, you know, we've already seen, you know, some conferences thinking of, you know, conference games only, you know, that's a possibility. We, we have to be prepared to see what what comes our way, uh, and and it's all based. It's you know quite honestly, it's all based on economics. It has nothing to do with anything else, but you know how the economics of of running that program 
and how is it going to affect, you know, the budgets and things like that. Uh, you know, just hearing things, certain conferences at the division one level aren't going to reduce their fees, but they're going to reduce the number of umpires, you know, those types of things. Uh, you know, I think you'll see, you'll see some, some down pummeling, if you will, once these budgets land. Right. And, and I think we'll know that I would hope in, uh, in November, end of November. George, is the NC2A um, considering not having at the division one level, not having uh, a national uh, championship and just playing along in the season? And not having it or no, reducing the I, tournament I or the size. I, no, I, I haven't heard that. I mean, uh, the college world, you know, the, the business of the NCAA is as follows. Uh, men's basketball is the predominant moneymaker. No ifs, ands, or buts. Okay. The final four. Number two is college baseball because of the College World Series. College World Series is a tremendous profit center for the NCAA and the institutions. It's number two. Football's FBS. That's a different animal. Mm -hmm. So college, the, the relationship that college baseball has business-wise is tremendous. And if you ever get a chance, I would recommend go to Omaha. If, you know, I mean, I'm there for 17 days, so it's still a different <laughs> environment. But uh, it's, it is a business. So it, it really would have to be played. But more importantly, the final four would have to be played in one way or another, because that's the tumblers for everybody else. In speaking of revenue, uh, piggybacking off that, is the NC2A uh, for, for baseball considering changing the timing of the season uh, yeah. start, uh, instead of starting in January, for instance, starting a little bit later, because what we what we see as far as fan base is concerned in the beginning of the season, it's very, very rough. And then yeah. once at just after the tournament, after the uh, final four, you know, uh, attendance at baseball games picks up. Right. And there's a if you get a chance, there was a podcast. Uh, if you saw it on, on D1Baseball.com, by the way, they. They do a nice job promoting baseball, okay? Uh, there's a podcast on there about all the Division One coaches talking about the, the new normal. And it was too early to put in place for 21, but there's a lot of traction in 22 to CB, as you said, to start the season later, which it would minimize some travel, uh, help the arms of pitchers, all of those types of things. So I think there's a lot of there's a lot of movement into in starting the season a little bit a little bit later, and I think that's going to happen. I do I know there's a lot of coaches who want that at the Division One level, you know, but I think the earliest it would take place is 2022. So, but if you haven't seen it, I would highly recommend it. Uh, the moderator uh, I think is uh, Coach uh, Beckett from uh, University of Michigan, and he does a nice okay. job of dispelling how. The thinking process is which speaks to your to your question, CB. Excellent. Yeah, we'll definitely check that out. Thank you. Uh -huh. Yeah, I've heard I've heard some talk of of delaying the start of the seasons, um, not not just this year, but as an ongoing thing to start after the Final Four, um, just to 
there's then I've seen the kind of metrics of here's attendance at these stadiums before well, final four. It, and here's attendance after basketball ends. And it's like, you see the big jump unless the team is eliminated super early. But, but I think the propagator is going to be the economics, because if you're a Northern school or up in the Northeast, you know, and, and you have to play like last year, we started February 12th. You know, if you delay that season three weeks or so, you might be able to stay home or stay closer. And then right. instead of having to go to Florida, you know, Texas, Arizona, I mean, that's where I see that kind of travel shrinking simply because of potentially the costs right. are, you know, uh, are prohibitive, you know, and I, I'm, you know, and I think that's going to be a big part of a little bit more regional play. You know, I don't think you're going to see teams even in your area going to flip flop to Florida versus, you know, stay closer to home or stay more regional travel. You might even see double headers, possibly. You might see weekends only depends upon, depends upon the economics right. of each conference, each school. Right. No, that, that makes sense. Um, Cause I, a few years ago, I worked a, uh, a D2 tournament down in Florida in mm-hmm. March, in March, early March. Yeah. And for some of the teams come from up north, like upstate New York, Vermont, there's some schools from Canada. The, some of the, the pitching was way ahead of the, the hitting for those teams because they were gone. This is the first time we've seen live, live pitching outside. Yeah. And, and it's like, things will change. The landscape of college baseball, I don't care if it's division three, division two, division one. It's, it's going to change and it's going to change simply based on the economics. Right. And there's no way around that. If they're doing more double headers, would you, do you think they would be moved to nine sevens or stay two nines? Well, they'll probably stay two nines. I remember working in the big 10 when you played a nine on a Friday night, two sevens on a Saturday and a nine on a Sunday, you know, that was a long weekend and you were right. doing that with three umpires. Uh, they may go back to that model. I mean, that's, it's possible. I think as I, you know, as much as I hate to keep talking about it, it's all going to be based on costs. It's simply all going to be based on what's, what's, what's the budget going to look like now, you know, for this institution, especially if, you know, they've already had furloughs, they've already, you know, cut sports. Right. You know, I mean, that we haven't, we haven't seen that yet. We haven't seen that outcome yet well because we, we don't know it's like planning for, for the season um you know talking to some of the coaches they're like well here's what we know right now but yeah. it, it all could be different and we'll just plan try to plan as be as flexible and plan for as many contingencies as we can which well i, I would believe in talking to conference coordinators you know in division ones that i speak to you know they know they're going to play. It's just a matter of, are they going to play midweek games or are they just going to play on the weekends? You know, are they just going to play conference games? You know, that's, that's kind of where, that's kind of where that's going to land. Right. And, and out here there's talk, at least in California of, you know, possibly have, having the, the officials um, do a COVID test midweek before a weekend series. So that kind of leans Kind well, that's not, coming not, too. Not not playing midweek, right? Well, that's but, that's that's that assuredly is going to have to happen, just like what football's doing. Football's testing. You know, the tests are becoming more reticent right now. I mean, people are 
to be able to get the results back. This is why football started up again. I think that's what I heard. I mean, so the NCAA is going to, you know, everybody's going to be tested. And this is where I keep going back to is the fact of, you know, you're going to have to just take care of yourself. You know, you're going to have to social distance. You're going to have to wear a mask. You're going to have to hand sanitize. You're going to have to do things a lot differently than that we're used to. You're not going to have to go. You're not going to go out and party anymore. You're not going to sit in the restaurants. I mean, things are changing because that's a big part of, you know, that's a big part of the ability to keep on, you know, as you said, Eric, you, have to keep, you know, to keep playing, not just the officials, but coaches and players and, you know, all of that. I think you'll see things open up a little, but we've seen that around the country because right. testing has been, the results have been received quicker. But the same token, you know, the answers come quicker and that might shut things down. So, you know. Yeah, the, the first COVID test I had this summer, uh, it took uh, 15 days to get my results back, which was yeah. ridiculously long. It's faster now. It's, I think now a day or two, I, I, two days, I think. Two days. Last time I took a test, two yeah. days is, yeah. But which is better. So test midweek, I'll, I'll know by Thursday or Friday whether I'm good to go. But, but you know, yeah. I think as we discuss the stuff of, you know, COVID-19 and its impact, we all realize how it's impacted this country. You know, it's impacted, you know, the election cycles and everything. It's, it's all around us. You know, every day is all of this, you know, how many cases, and how many deaths and everything. You have to you have to have faith in your scientists and your doctors and your engineers that are going to create things for getting better and things are getting better. You know, people things are opening up, the economy's gonna open up. And I think as we get into the springtime, you know, we should have a, a little bit better footing than where we were, you know, March and April of last year. Oh god, we better. We better that's my that's my <laughs> but I but I but I try to always stay positive on this. And that's why I right. keep that's why we're doing what we're doing. That's why we're you know, we proposed our budget, we're doing our collateral, we're doing our video, we've got our stuff for registration, we've got everything moving forward and boom, let's play. The rule book is done. We got new rules. We got, you know, we're working with the ABCA, the coaches, and and now let's play. Right. Now we'll see where that see where that lands. And then my role is I'm I'm gonna track umpires that that I'm looking at the College World Series and the super regionals. I'm gonna find out where they are and I'm gonna go see them. You know, and I just need to know where they are where the schedules are. Right. Now that, that's awesome. Um, yeah. We're looking forward to getting, getting back to a, whatever form of normal is going to be now for the next, next while. And it'll adapt over the next couple of years. I'm sure the impacts are gone for a while. Um, so well, that, that, that's awesome. Um, so you've already kind of talked on your vision for college baseball and we've talked about in little bits and pieces, kind of getting through this next 2021 season. Are you making the plans for, um, you know, for the preparation for um, whenever it starts, it starts um, as far as when they start playing. Um, what's the cycle for the umpires this year coming in? So you said rule books ready to go out in end of November. So obviously we're going to have to register again. Right. Um, well, getting back, getting back to vision. I mean, when I, you know, how I got this job, by the way, is I used to file a report from the Division Three world, and I would send it on to my boss, which was Gene McCarter at that time. Oh, Gene, okay. okay. And then Gene tell, told me that he's going to be retiring. And our season ended at Appleton in May, and the World Series as the start. His that at that time was in June, and he said, "Well, I think you should you should apply." And I said, "Okay, I'll apply." So I applied. 
sent in my paperwork, got some references, got a couple of interviews, and they offered me the job. Okay, so that's kind of how this all all started. Hmm. But when I when I interviewed, some of the things I talked about was these are some of the things where I felt we could be better at it in college baseball. And I, I'd like to see, you know, uh, every umpire, you know, be able to register, pass the background check, attend the clinic, either in person or in its entirety or the online and pass the test. Not every conference has that in place in divisions one, two, and three. Division one last year mandated that the division one umpire should register with Arbiter Sports, like we will talk about here December 1st, and then uh, basically uh, complete the test. Not necessarily pass the test, just complete the test. So there's so many gaps. So a vision of mine always was, uh, I'd like to get everybody on the same page, get everybody to be like football. I'm a football official. I, I have to do those four things. But baseball isn't quite there yet. So we're, we're getting better, more conferences, even at the Division One level, more umpires. But I'd like to see that at all three levels. You know, the other aspect, you know, some of the things is, you know, you talk about some camps. You know, I'd like to see some, you know, some development camps, some NCAA camps, you know, work with Major League Baseball. We're starting to, you know, work on some diversity type camps, inclusion camps, development camps. And then we're talking about recruiting. You know, we have, we have, we're going to be in a shortage and I'm sure there, there's a shortage of officials out there. I'm not talking just quality. I'm just talking officials. So another vision would be to develop some camps where we could recruit some of the better high school umpires on an annual basis so they can move into junior college baseball. They can move into division three, you know, division two type stuff. You know, so those are, you know, those are some uh, visions. The other vision was I'd, I'd love to get the ABCA to get all their coaches you know, into the home plate. You know, why wouldn't they want to get all the information you all, we all put out there? So that, that'll help them stay off the field. That'll help them understand the rules better. So those are some of the, those are some of the visions that I have to continually improve, you know, college baseball, all facets. That's really a, a holistic approach to it. Yeah, and it can happen. Right. You know, it, it you know, I mean, I hope before I leave this position that, you know, that some of that gets in place, you know, so, and, you know, every year we get better, you know, every year, you know, we, we, we move the ball a little bit farther down the field, but yeah, we're going to register December 1st. We're off and running, you know, the welcome packets, the book is being printed, the manuals being printed. We got a shipping schedule done. We've already had some pre-registrations from the Collegiate Baseball Umpires Alliance has had about 1,100. So the numbers are going to be huge. We have more coaches joining every year, and I'm going to keep banging that drum to, to get more of them to get on to get on the home plate so they get the same information so they understand the rules and the videos and everything. So, you know, we're, uh, we're, we're closing the gap, so to speak. Right. So we don't have to print out that approved bat list. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, that's, that's, a, that's a whole other animal now. I don't want to go. I don't want to go too long here, but uh, twenty-page uh, division, division, division two and three. You know, bat testing is going to ha is going to happen. I mean, right now that's all economics. You can't afford it. I get it. Right. But right. that's the biggest. The biggest thing is, you know, you, you get bat testing there, and we, you know, we cleaned up division one. There were so many uh, surgeons on rolling bats, hot bats, balls flying all over hell. 
we decided to put bad testing into the championship and scared the bejesus out of every conference because now these bats are going to have to be checked. And that kind of policed that part. And so we've cleaned up. And the biggest thing is you don't want to do anything that's going to compromise the integrity of the game. So bats have right. to be tested. Right. You know, and eventually that'll that'll migrate down at division two and three. But right. at the division two and three level right now, it's you know, they got a bat ring and coaches are gonna to have to police their games, but you as a use the official, if that bat isn't right, you got the rule book to defend you and that guy's out, nobody advances and get another player up here. There you go. <clears throat> yeah, that, that's been an interesting one one through the through the time. Now we just look for stickers. That's what I look for the sticker. Yeah. Um I'm going back to your holistic vision. Um, yeah, that sounds really good. And uh, we do see changes from year to year, I notice. And sometimes I don't really notice that's that much of a difference. But as I said, when I look back, when I started working in this in 2012 and now, um, yeah, we've made quite a bit of progress in in how uh, the world of officiating, but also in just baseball in general. So uh, you are making progress. So it is noticeable. Um, what can individual umpires do to, to, to help? bring bring about this well move, i think move forward. well the biggest thing is the national coordinators you want you want the you, first of all you want the rules committee has the responsibility to write rules that can be enforced by umpires okay that's the Fair first enough. thing second thing is the officials now the umpires have to enforce them okay i don't care if you, you don't like the rule you don't want to enforce the timing rule all that stuff i got to keep a watch now or i gotta wear a <laughs> clock on my belt i get all that but just enforce the rules as written. The worst thing that happens is if we have coordinators or advisors or umpires deciding, you know, we're not going to do this, we're not going to force these rules. And but but we've we've improved drastically from that because, you know, the fellowship and the brotherhood is big, but it's also very small. And you know, and you you don't want to you don't want to have a situation where people aren't enforcing the the twenty second action clock. You know one day and the next day they are and i mean i get the fact that yeah we need to be we need to put a visible clock up there I mean, being a football official i remember the days where you didn't have the 40 25 and then you had the mystical 15 you know five yard delay and what the hell it's the same <laughs> here thing. we go that's do, my that's why, do my countdown do my countdown well yeah but it's but it's also buy-in on the coaches too i mean everybody's everybody's a stakeholder with all this stuff i mean i i my job has changed where not only do I work to make sure that the conferences are compliant, you know, there's some coaches that, you know, we, I've had some conversations with them that have not been the friendliest because they don't like these certain rules and those types of things. But I think that's, that's, that's shrunk. We're, we're making tremendous progress and I'm excited about 21 because the rule changes, the action clock changes. I mean, this game is going to pick up, you know, very quickly. And that's a good thing. You know, coaches, they, they, they don't like it at times, but you know what? Get the ball, throw the ball, you know, play the game. You know? Yeah, they don't like those four-hour games either, so. No, 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 no. <laughs> nobody does. Nobody does. <laughs> right. Mm -hmm. George, thank you for being so generous with your time today. We yeah, sincerely I, appreciate it. Definitely. Yeah. No, oh, I'm sorry, I go was ahead. just going to say thank you for the opportunity and the good work you're doing, guys. Tremendous. Absolutely. Thank you so much. And we'd love to have you uh, possibly mid-season uh, on the show again, just to kind of check in. Um, well, just one final question I have. Uh, was there any question that we didn't ask 
or any topic we didn't touch that you wished we would have? Oh, I mean, uh, I, look, I looked at your, you know, your outline and we, you know, we talked about COVID. We talked about, you know, my history, which is not that important. You know, the biggest thing is you know, some of the plans moving forward, what we're doing at the NCA level. I mean, things are in place. I will tell you, you know, we have everything in place for a successful 2021. Uh, you know, I, the umpiring has never been better. Umpire competition is at an all-time high, and that's a lot of it is because to get back to what we just talked about is guys are doing the right things. They know if they continually do the right things, they're going to be rewarded. If they go against the protocols, they don't get rewarded, and, and that's that's been the change, and and they know exactly what they need to do. So I'm excited to see, I'm excited to see that the talent laden teams because these teams are just loaded now with talent and everything from last year and the waivers to transfer and the major league draft that didn't have that many rounds, but also that our, our umpiring was was so good the first month, it was outstanding, and then the, I'm I'm hopeful that'll return. But to answer your question, I think we've covered a lot of uh, in the NCAA college baseball program, where it is and where we're heading and what our goals are. Great. Well, thank you Excellent. very much, George. Well, next time we have. Yeah, yeah thank you. I, I look forward to the 21 season and watching some good umpires umpiring. And yeah, them. well, like I said, our. Our task is right now is getting a lot of this stuff done for production and collateral that'll be in your guys' hands in the videos and things like that. That's all taking place. So hopefully you'll enjoy the product, if you yeah. will. <laughs> Definitely will. Great. All right. Great. Thanks, George. Thanks, Thanks very guys. much. Have a great day. George, take right. care. You Have Thanks a good weekend. Us. Stay Bye -bye. safe out there. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of Strike Three Podcasts with CB, Trav, and me, Enoch. We'd like to thank our special guest, NCAA D1 National Coordinator of Umpires, George Droches, for joining us today. Please join us on our next episode, where we will discuss umpire training and development with NCAA Director of Umpire Training, Tom Hyler. Goodbye, everybody. Oh, before you go, like all good sports officials, we value the importance of feedback. Please rate our podcast on Spotify, Apple, or wherever you get this podcast. Your rating will help us improve and assist others in finding the Strike 3 podcast. Or please feel free to email us at feedback at strike3podcast.com. That is feedback at strike, the number three, podcast.com. Thanks for listening.